have you ever heard about people talking breastfeeding at work, breastfeeding public places, breastfeeding even at home? And um, the, the kind of conversations you have kind of make people uncomfortable. But breastfeeding is a natural thing that we do as mothers. Now, of course, when we breastfeed our children, we know we are passing nutrition to them. Not only that, we are passing the things that would help build their immune system to them. But there are many times that mothers are felt made to feel guilty. They are made to feel like they're not doing enough. They are made to feel uncomfortable about feeding their children. This is what we're going to be talking about today on the Wellbeing for Mothers show. I am Dr. Dini. I'm the award-winning mom empowerment coach. I'm a family doctor, international speaker, best-selling author of the book, Every Mom is a Super Mom, and host on the Wellbeing for Mothers show. And most importantly, I'm a mother who has breastfeed her children. So I know what it's like. And today I'm bringing a very important guest. So it's not just, oh, Dr. Dini has breastfed her children, so she's going to talk about this. I'm bringing someone who is an expert at lactation, breastfeeding, and everything in relation to that. Our guest today is Rose McFadden. She is an advocate for women and babies' health and well-being, and she has a background in fashion and working in corporate while she was bringing up her four children. She then went into a midwifery career in her 40s and, and specialized as an international board-certified lactation consultant. Through her wonderful career, she was able to help so many people. And then she left the NHS, which is the National Health Service based in the United Kingdom, in 2018 to fulfill her entrepreneurial desire and drive to innovate change for the longevity of breastfeeding and the health of future generations. So please join me on the show as we welcome Roz McFadden. Hi. Hi, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Dini, for inviting me along today. I can't wait to talk to you about all things breastfeeding. <laughs> that is so good. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I remember the first time we spoke. I think we probably spoke for over an hour. We just kept talking about breastfeeding and how amazing it is and how wonderful it is. And, and, and the challenges we face as mothers when we are breastfeeding. And so I'd love to you to share perhaps how you started your journey of, um, of course, breastfeeding and being interested in helping mothers in that journey of breastfeeding their children. Okay, well, as, you know, as you said, I, I had four, I have four children, blessed to have two boys, two girls, and breastfed them with varying amounts of success, actually. Um, in fact, my oldest has just celebrated her 29th birthday yesterday. Um, and it was the usual, oh, so dad can be involved. Let, let, let dad give a bottle of formula. So from day one, that's what I did. One bottle of formula from day one. My milk supply was not great after that. My nipples were hanging off. I was told, oh, and you're all fair. And it's because you've got fair skin. You're going to have very delicate nipples. A load of rubbish that I know now. Um, I had to go back to work with all four of them. Um, I remember with Alicia, my oldest, I got a job in um, Laura Ashley and she was eight weeks old. And it was on a Sunday. Sunday opening had just started and I stood there about half past four. My husband, well, with my ex-husband, <laughs> wheels her along outside the store. And I'm wearing this floral Laura Ashley dress with two really big wet patches around my breast because I could see my daughter and there's nothing you can do about leaking breasts. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was my sort of first experience of a sort of a breastfeeding working mom. I then had um, my son worked in a corporate business there and had to really give up breastfeeding during the day. He was six months old. Um, so he had formula at the childminders because they weren't really geared up to it. So again, I was like mixed feeding. None of this was what I wanted to do. Um, then I had my other son. Had to go back to work at 12 weeks with him. Um, and then I remarried and met the love of my life. 
Um, but the re- the reason I sort of I come to this point is then I had my fourth child. I was still working in the same corporate business, and I actually lost my job when I was six months pregnant with her. So complete change of life. Um, but one day she was, I think she was about four months old, five months old. I went to an NCT sale to sell all the baby clothes because you can imagine how many I had. And it's yeah. like, I'm not having any more of these things, these babies, fours and up. Um, and I wanted to, I looked, I was talking to people, I was thinking, I'd really like to support other mums with breastfeeding because I'd have all my friends phoning me. Oh, Roz, you know, what should I do? And I spoke to my husband. He was like, why don't you just go full hog and become um, a midwife and just retrain? He retrained to be a teacher and I retrained to be a midwife. And so that's where it came. And it's now, yeah, full circle. And I'm now doing with all that experience, so with design, with being a mum of four, with working in corporate business, with being a midwife, obviously having my professional qualification and then becoming a, a, we call it an IBCLC. So hopefully that's easy for people. Um, I've brought that all together to actually support mums where I think there's a big lack of support in that area of like, yes, people carry on breastfeeding after about eight weeks. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, oh, I, I can talk for, for hours. So hopefully that gave you not that succinct idea. <laughs> oh, that is so good. I love the way you brought us on your journey because I was almost like watching a movie with that floral dress <laughs> and, you know, the other child and the baby in the prom. I mean, I absolutely love the way you brought us on your journey of breastfeeding and how you took up that calling of saying, yes, I'm going to help mothers and I'm going to help babies, that it's not the end of the world if you're going back to work. And if you wanted to do breastfeeding for longer, please, by all means, you can and you will. And so <laughs> for the working <laughs> for the working mothers here, they might be thinking, okay, I'm going back to work. Maybe they they have got three weeks that they had the child and for those of them who go back in normal immediately, um, or maybe it's eight weeks or maybe two, three months or six months or even one year for the lucky ones. How do these mothers prepare themselves? to going back into work, knowing fully well that they do not want to give up breastfeeding their children. Absolutely. It's and and the and the challenges or or the the way that you prepare is very different. And I'm actually gonna start at the more normal sort of what I'm used to. So obviously I'm based in the UK and in the UK I would say on average people have go back to work about nine to twelve months. So if we think about that, think about what I did as a midwife in terms of health promotion, the World Health Organization suggests the benefits of breastfeeding up to two years or beyond. So exclusively for six months, so no, nothing else for six months, introducing solids after that alongside breastfeeding, but definitely exclusive breast milk to 12 months. You're going back at nine months. Or you're going back at six months, you know, you're breastfeeding. Your body is producing that milk. You're covering your child's health and immunity. So what do you do? So one, there's practicality, isn't there? Okay. So how do I stop having big patches of breast milk in the middle of a meeting or <laughs> in my lovely Laura Ashley dress? Um, the other thing is the emotional side of this. So actually, how will I transition? How do I feel about that? And the third is about building your stash. So how, how, what does the day look like? How am I going to build up this breast milk and where is my baby going? So they're the sort of the key points. And it really comes down to going, actually, you do have a choice. You don't have to give up breastfeeding because you go back to work. It's not a choice between the two things. Okay. You don't give up going to the gym. You you don't leave your marriage. I know that's being a bit flippant, but it's just saying it's just part of your life. It's your life, what you do. Um, It's what you do for your children to bring them up properly. You put as much effort into that, if not more, 
than when you choose a school for your children, when you choose a nursery for your children. So it's about saying, okay, well, how can I do that? Hmm. And we look at like, okay, what does your day look like? Do you live alone? You know, I, I support a lot of parents who are having actively having children on their own. They'll have IVF. Um, or when's your partner going to work? Is your partner staying at home? Or is your child going to your grandparents? So it's looking at all those sorts of things. So that's sort of really what what I'd say to to parents who are going back to work. Think about when you're going. Think about how many times you feed your baby. Think about what your day looks like mm-hmm. and think about what you want. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. And I love the fact that you've listed those factors that can contribute to the decision you make in relation to how you're going to build up your stash (laughs) and how you're going to um, implement the continuous feeding of your child. Now, like you rightly said, of course, in the UK, we've got a longer period of um, being at home with the child. But in some parts of the world, and I know some of our listeners, they go back to work very soon after delivery. Um, there are some times when we have to be more strategic. Now, of course, a child at nine months will be having other things apart from breastfeeding. So, but a child that is less than six months as per the guidance from the um, World Health Organization, you want to perhaps maybe be more uh, proactive with the milk and you will need to build up more stash than those who need not as much. Absolutely. So, so there's a rule of thumb and we call it, we call it your magic number. So your magic number is the number of times you need to have your breast emptied of milk. So that's not the reason I put it like that. So how many times in a day do you need to feed your baby or express breast milk to maintain your supply? Okay. So that's your magic number. Okay. And you need to build up a day's worth plus 10. So what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is if you're at work, you've got a I don't know, 12 week old baby, for instance, you could be feeding that baby. I mean, I say to people, how many times a day are you feeding your baby? And actually, that's a really, it's, it's a wrong question because actually when you're feeding, you don't really pay a huge amount of attention. You're just like, Oh, they're looking at me. Put them on the boob. <laughs> um, but, but, but seriously, it's sort of saying, okay, how, how often are you feeding your baby in the day? So you've got a 12 week old baby. So they are fully breastfed. Okay. So you look at that and say, okay, well, if I'm away from them, say from eight o'clock or away from the house where you can feed them, say from eight o'clock to 6 p.m. What you do is you look at a typical day and say, okay, well, between those times, how often do I generally feed baby? That's the day's worth plus 10. So 10 your insurance policy that like, if you think about it, you don't want to be stressing any more than you're already stressing okay because what happens you have stress hormone cortisol is going to suppress that oxytocin and prolactin and you need those hormones girls you need those hormones to make and let down your milk so that's where we start and we start there so you've got that insurance policy but then when you're at work you're going to need to express now I would say, actually, you'll be surprised. You might not be able need to express as often as maybe if your baby was there and you were just chucking them on every hour and a half, couple of hours. It may be that you could do it sort of three hourly and you will work that out. But everything you express at work goes into that stash for the next day. And then you get into that, that rhythm, that mojo of like, okay, cool. This is what I've expressed. That's what goes off to the child mind to the next day. Right. Okay. That's, that's making sense now. So basically, if maybe you were, let me give a round figure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's say in that period when you are away from home or away from your child, you have a thousand meals that you give that child. Yes. So it will be a thousand meals plus 10. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Well, that sounds huge, actually, saying it like that. So I'm going to flip that and I'm going to say, um, 
packets. So you know how you, you can express breast milk and you put it in a packet or, or in a pot. Put it into bite-sized feeds. That sounds ridiculous. I know what I mean. So on average, a baby from about one month, it's, people are really surprised, up to a month varying amounts they'll feed. But actually from a month onwards, the amount of breast milk, the volume doesn't really change. I mean, it will change between feeds. But on average, it's between 90 and 120 mils. Okay, so I would sort of suggest you might be you might make up feeds into sort of 100 and 120. Okay, but what you need to remember is it's the caregiver that's stressing. Okay, so with a little baby, that's hard. Actually, I I will I will explain that actually it's not. It's hard for the caregiver because actually they only have breast milk to give them, okay? Because they're not having solids, they're 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 not having water and other things. And please don't ever give them to that at that age. So you probably would err on the larger size. So you'd make sure you give them. You've got them in feed portions, but you might actually give them an extra one mm. in those first couple of weeks, just as you're sort of. You're learning how each other work. The carer learns how the baby works. You're learning how the baby and the carer work together um, and so on. So does that make sense? It does. Absolutely. Now, the funny thing about why you were saying the one month, I remember my son when he was one month old, he could finish between 120 and 150 mils. He had no neck, three chins. He was like a little Michelin man. (laughs) I had one of those. So yeah, and he was exclusively breastfed for six months. So he absolutely ate everything. So, <laughs> but I no, I, think, I think people um they, they they misunderstand breast milk. There's 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 it's all about the language and the words. And if you read some things, the way it's talked about is it's almost like, oh well, it's almost like breast milk is a diet, like a um a. a it's less calories than formula and it's not that actually they're pretty much around the same until formula then becomes too many calories if you look at a mum who successfully breastfed their baby oh man the chunkers you should see the ones at my group i mean yes admittedly there are some that aren't but they're because they're having problems you know so yeah absolutely i totally get that (laughs) Awesome. Okay, so there might be some some mothers here, and I might just uh, be a little bit because with my son, mm-hmm. um, he had cow's milk protein intolerance. Yes, and so I, as the caregiver, well, I wasn't giving him formula milk anyway. Mm-hmm. I had to regulate my diet mm-hmm. to ensure that I didn't have any of those things because if not, he will come up with this. Terrible eczema. And with him, the way we found out was I had, he had the bad eczema from birth because we're feeding him from birth. But then he also had blood in his stool as well. That's allergy. It is. So in that kind of scenario, if a mother says, okay, what kind of things can I eat? Mm-hmm. One, of course, to help with the breast milk provision, but also if my child is having a form of allergy, what kind of things can I consume? Okay, that's a really massive question and a really interesting question. And I'm going to take us back to basics a little bit. Okay, so we all have a natural intolerance to lactose because we're not really meant to have lactose in our diets from about four years of age. And guess what four years of age is? The natural age of weaning from breast milk. Okay, so that's us as humans, this is what we're built. We're not really built to have too much lactose. Okay, and I'm going to explain. So you have lactose in breast milk mm-hmm. and you have lactase in breast milk. So lactose is there at the beginning and then in the fattier element, it eats up and balances out all the lactose. Okay, mm-hmm. so giving you a little bit of a science lesson here. So. We are not going to produce a fluid that is going to be dangerous to our babies. Okay, so so that's where that's why I sort of want to start at the basics. However, we have evolved over generations and generations since formula milk came about in our diets 
and we've been drink, having a lot of dairy, a lot of very rich foods. Mm-hmm. And so what has happened to us as a, as a sort of, it's a genome. So as a person that's made of the DNA that's made of our parents, of our parents, parents and so on, we have built more and more intolerance to dairy. Okay. So when we have children, yeah, they, I mean, even though you're exclusively breastfeeding, um, and I want to sort of add this, so this isn't quite your scenario, but, but it's really important. Yeah. One bottle of formula milk, especially in the early days, can trigger something on their DNA. So when they are then exposed to that cosmic protein again, they will react. Okay. However, if you're a baby born of somebody that might have had an intolerance or who may have been formula fed or someone in their inheritance, inheritance, in their heritage were formula fed along the line, they've got that, they've got that sensitivity. Mm. What happens is everyone blames the mother. Of course it's her fault. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that liquid that she's putting into her child, it must, she must stop it. Let's get (laughs) <laughs> and I'm not being flippant. I keep saying that word. I don't know why I'm saying that word. But it, but we're made to think as mothers it's got to be us. So actually, in fact, only a nanogram of cow's milk protein gets metabolized in our breast milk and into baby and into their digestion. Mm. Okay. So until you know there's a problem, don't worry about it, actually. Okay. But know that actually if you've had these intolerances in your family to get support to breastfeed. Okay. Now, in your situation, Dr. Dini, it's it's an interesting one. It's quite rare for a baby to be born with eczema. And actually, black African ethnicity is it's more common in them, Mm. um, which is interesting because I've got a friend who makes these amazing um, creams out of shea butter and Mm. her son was born with eczema. And mm. she's exclusively breastfed. So you do your best. In terms of what you eat, though, it's is there an intolerance or is there an allergy? And, mm. you know, there's a big difference. So you may be able to maintain yourself, have a diet that's got some bits of soy in, it's got some bits of cow's milk protein in, but your son would have been okay. Or it doesn't sound like this is the case. He sounds like he might have had a full-blown allergy. I don't know. What would Hmm. you think? What would? Yeah, so he wasn't born with eczema. Okay. It was the first week of life, of course, that the eczema came through. But, of course, we breastfeed from that time. And that's where we found out that, you know, because, first of all, we have some baby products. And don't get me started with some baby products (laughs) that really irritate the skin. So shea butter, we call it in, uh, nat- in our kind of uh, native tongue, ori, for ori. those who might be listening. It's so good. We had to kind of get lots of ori to use on his skin. But of course, because he had the cow milk protein allergy, he was more yeah. susceptible to having all the full-blown um, uh, features. That yeah. way, exactly, presenting that way. And for that uh-huh. reason... He had to be off it. But right now, he, I mean, he's, he's like 11 now. So he's like drinking like God knows what. Oh, of course, yeah. I also am aware that, look, there are certain things that are natural for us as humans to do. Um, and there are certain things that perhaps will improve our well-being. So there are, uh, he's not very keen on cow's milk as he was when he was a little like in his uh, single figures, seven, eight, nine, drinking a good <laughs> cup of cow's milk. But yeah, he's we're more thinking, oh, the plant-based milk, and you know, exploring all those uh, options that are available to us. But yeah, that that was one of the. So absolutely, I think, and and that, so that's so the reason I sort of asked about your experience. So yes, it's only an anagram that goes into it. However, if you do have a child that is sensitized. So you have to, yeah, look at your diet mm. and cut out dairy, but also to cut out soy mm. as well, because soy has the same protein. So the proteins are made in the same way. And so they trigger in a, in a similar way. 
And it's really hard. And so what I would suggest to to parents, first not to jump on it and just go, right, let's go and see someone to say, is this what it is? But if you do have to do it, get a support from a dietitian and get support from other mums. There's some amazing groups out there. You need peer support. You need someone going, oh, my Lord, I've just been to Tesco and I don't know what to do. And believe me, those mums side by side, they are going to help you. Okay. In terms of food to improve breast milk, and I just did dittos there, but obviously you're not seeing me on camera. Um, but to improve breast milk, there, the way you increase and improve your breast milk supply is by regular feeding baby. There are um, cultural things. So in some cultures it will be fenugreek, in some it's fennel, in some it's oats. So that all those things, we call them galactagogues. I love that word. It's just such a funny word. <laughs> and, there's, you know, there's no ne- not necessarily any harm in them, but you they are not a magic pill. They're not a magic food. The way you improve your breast milk is, one, to feed baby as much as you can and effectively. And if you're getting struggles or it's hurting, get support. So that's that. Is- that. That it absolutely does. And yes, don't forget the journey of breastfeeding. Even though you are the one breastfeeding, you're not doing it alone. Um, you can ask for help. You will be able to kind of reach out to your midwife, the, the health visitor. You'll be able to reach out to your doctors. I know I meet so many women who say, Oh, I don't know if I can continue this. They've got mastitis. And when it's painful, and yeah. they, they might need treatment. And so you give that treatment and then they can continue. And all these things come out from when they say, I need help. <laughs> I need support. I need advice. So please don't be shy. Don't think it's one of those never speak words or those taboo words. Breastfeeding is natural. It is just as natural as you putting food in your mouth. You know, yeah. so that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. I was just going to ask in a little bit about, of course, our mothers that go into work. Um, Mm -hmm. But we've got different jobs and uh, the different uh, things that we need to get kind of get through, and maybe different working hours as well. What are some of the policies or um, that or support that the place of work can put in place or can kind of um, let the mother be aware of? to make breastfeeding a normal occurrence or support breastfeeding for their female employees? Absolutely. Really good question. Really good question. And and when we talk about policies, obviously policies or guidance, whichever, whichever, are linked to law Mm. and some. So, yes, they start in law. And sadly, the law... (laughs) <laughs> is almost embarrassed in the UK of the word breastfeeding, okay? Because it comes under the health and safety law. And under the health and safety law, uh, an employer has um, offers the right to the employee to have a rest break when they are pregnant or when they are breastfeeding or a new parent. So they don't actually say you're entitled to a break to pump your breast milk or to breastfeed your child. It's like that word, oh, no, we've used Mm. the word. Um, So, and that's very interesting. So, obviously, there are amazing HR professionals in the world, and, you know, I would say nearly every corporate business or, or business or employer will know that they have to have a health and safety element to a policy which they will either call a maternity policy, mm-hmm. something like that. Every company is slightly different. But within that policy, what would benefit employees is to actually have a specific part for those who are breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's not law, mm-hmm. but it's advice. And why is it advice? Why is it helpful for an employer like, why should I do that? Why should I care whether she's breastfeeding or not? If she come back to work, I really don't care what she's doing in her home life. And it's like, well, actually, you sort of need to care because breastfeeding is supporting her health. It's supporting her mental health and it's supporting the health of her child. 
So therefore, why is that good for the employer? Reduces sick leave, reduces carers leave, increases well-being and also increases loyalty and morale. Okay. And you have a, you know, you, an employer has a responsibility to support their health mm-hmm. as well. So within those policies, it needs to be processes, doesn't it? And practices. Yes. So what do, what does an employer put in place? Where, where is she going to express her breast milk? Is she going to be able to breastfeed her baby depending on what the job is? Mm-hmm. Is she aware of this when she goes on maternity leave? So the reason I'm saying that is it's all very well having processes in place. If you really want to show you care for your staff, what an employer has to do is to say, if you are breastfeeding, now by doing it like that, it's almost like I don't have to go and tell them I'm breastfeeding because I already know when I go on maternity leave, I've been given this policy. I know exactly where there's a room to express or there's a pod to express or I know exactly where I can go and have my baby brought in and feed. So it's preemptive. So I would say, yes, there's laws in place and there's policies in place, but there's not many policies that are fit for practice. Mm. And I think the policies need to really consider the the conversation of when it happens. And it should happen before she goes on maternity leave. Yes. Does that make sense? It does, absolutely. Exactly. It's like preparing before you really need <laughs> the, um, the, hmm. the, uh, breastfeeding room or the breastfeeding support. And of course, communicate, communicate with the HR, communicate with your line manager, your boss, but communicate with your colleagues that would support you. Those who may be able to kind of timeshare or, uh, project share or something to help with that supportive environment that you require. Actually, Dr. Denny, I want to share a hashtag. Mm-hmm. So my my campaign this year is to share this hashtag to employers, okay? And it's hashtag strategize for family, mm-hmm. okay? Because it's all very well having a policy, but like I said, you've got to have processes in place. And those processes have to have things in place like, okay, do you actually have anywhere for someone to express their breast milk? on the door you know mm-hmm. what I want in the ideal world is for someone to go into a workplace and they know they strategize the family they know they they think okay someone might have a baby yeah. and they might be just coming up in their career and that's not going to change it's about going okay if someone's going to have a baby what would happen if Susan in accounts had a baby what are we going to do to make sure she continues on her path Mm-hmm. She's able to be looked after through maternity leave and when she comes back. Mm-hmm. And actually, how can we use that to develop others? So it's it's putting a strategy in place that yes. people might have babies. Oh, yes. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I love what you shared about having a place to breastfeed. And probably that this will kind of take me through to uh, when mothers are out of work or maybe it's a weekend or and you're out with your child it's a long day or maybe even a holiday you know there's so many things that we can still continue to do even though we're breastfeeding so you don't have to be stuck at home I remember when when my children were younger and I was out I'll just look for the nearest mother care because I knew they had a nursing room so I'll just go in there and either I already had express breast milk that could be heated up or I just carry and put my child and breastfeed. But we don't have many places like that anymore. And I know this is something that probably triggered your entrepreneurial journey. So please share about that. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So as I said, you know, as a midwife, I was supporting breastfeeding. I was educating. But we really at the most would would support up to six weeks. OK. And then. Then I was finding sort of as the, as parents were going through, they're going to see the health visitor and, and their, their baby's getting their jabs. Yeah. So say they're 12 weeks or the 16 weeks and the health visitors, and this isn't me bashing health visitors. They're amazing. It's just say they're congratulating them on breastfeeding for that long. And it's like, okay, that, that's not it. 
And that's where it stops. Now, the people they see after that are their GP. They start traveling around. So they'll go on an airplane, so an airport, a shopping center, a place of work. They, a breastfeeding parent goes through a lot of places, but they're not valued as such. That sounds a bit strict, but it's almost they're not catered for. That's the word. Okay, so I was like, what can I do? This is this is the area I want to focus on because I was the one that lost my job when I was pregnant. I was the one that was standing in a shop with wet breasts. Um, You know, it was like if I could give something back, I want to use my design head to actually support breastfeeding parents all the way through to however long that is, two years, whatever. So I was. Working with um, a breast pump company, and I was on um, a NatWest Entrepreneurial um, Accelerator, uh, what's it called, like a program. And I was sitting in this meeting pod, chatting to this breast pump company, and I said, what we need is, and it was a, sorry, it was a meeting pod, and I was like, what we need is a mum pod. And there it was. It was born. I designed a pod that could be put in an airport or in a shopping centre or in a place of work and and it's yes it's initially this was for pumping okay because you know I have loads of parents say mums come to me go Rose I've got to go on a hen do in Amsterdam what on earth am I going to do so it isn't just about going back to work or like oh my friends like we're having a you know we're having a baby shower and I need and I don't want to have to go with the baby and all this sort of thing but also all it is it's about a relaxing safe space that's quiet that can invoke oxytocin that you can breastfeed and express and rest if you're pregnant Mm. and when I came up with that concept I knew to say that it was for breastfeeding was controversial Mm. okay why was it controversial because you have People at every end of a spectrum, yeah? And I was having activists. Now, bear in mind, my profession is all about supporting parents to feed their baby, however that looks, yeah? But predominantly around breastfeeding, if that's what they wish to do. You should be hiding people away. People have the right to breastfeed wherever they want. Absolutely, they do. And then you have people going, oh, yes, that's a really good idea. Yes, let's lock them away. We don't want to be seeing people feeding. And so it's a really interesting. So I'm sort of stuck in the middle of going, right, I'm trying to solve the problem, but not for you guys who have opinions. I'm solving the problem for the people who actually want to feed their baby. Yeah. And I know, and you'll appreciate this, Dustin, is when you have a six-month-old baby who's breastfeeding, they want to twang off all the time and have a look around. And here you are with your nipple out and and I'm sure, you know, and whether you care about that or not, some parents do care about that. And actually, it's more for them. It's like I need to be in a contained place where there's no distractions because I want to go shopping. and I'll get this over and done with. (laughs) Or you've got that mum, three weeks, just had a baby. She's come out to the shops. It was a really big deal for her. She doesn't know how to do this out in public. She's really vulnerable. Okay, so that's for her. Or you just want somewhere that doesn't smell like a toilet. And there are some amazing nursing rooms. There's some amazing, in Milton Keynes, where I'm from, there's an amazing um, lactation area with boil curtains and nice, but it's in the toilet area. And I don't care how well your cleaning regime is, it smells of toilets. And that's why I wanted to do this, like, standalone pod that could be placed in an atrium, you know, in a in a big area that wasn't actually in the toilets. Mm. So I came up with that solution. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is so good. That is so, so good. So I, I probably think that some of our uh, moms that are listening will be looking out for some mom pods around the place. And if perhaps you're thinking, oh, my goodness, I think my shopping center or maybe my place of work would benefit from a mom pod, I'll put um, Rose's details in the uh, description of this uh, show so but yeah that's really really amazing and yeah you got me with that uh, toilet smell because 
poor, funny enough, in that mother care, the changing room was pretty, it was a large room, but it was like the other side of it. So people would change and bring the nappy and help if you're, if you're the kind of person that you've got, you know, you've got the nappies that are from babies that have poos that smell glorious, you know, the way it is. And there's some that really are like, what was that? <laughs> you know, you really don't want that. <laughs> yeah. And you're sitting there smelling them. It's delightful. Oh, my word. Yeah. No, it wasn't too much fun. So yeah. So I, I know that you mentioned about a few things that we experience, especially as mothers when breastfeeding, sometimes leaking breasts. You know that your breast is not completely full, but the moment your eye sees your baby, it's like, oh, I want to give you food, and it just comes out. <laughs> you know, honestly, our bodies are crazy, aren't they? It's like I have no control over this. Totally, totally, and I, I, I totally re- um, resonate with that. So perhaps maybe getting extra uh, breast pads, and mm-hmm. most of the time, if you're wearing nursing bras, and this probably going to the practicalities of it, you will have those. Um, breast pads that you can put to absorb at least to a large extent and change regularly because if you don't the risk of infection you know is there yeah absolutely and so that does like you said that that brings you along to the practicalities of of breastfeeding and it's thinking about the clothes that you're wearing okay it's thinking about have I got enough breast pads out with me we're all very different some people leak ever such a lot and and I, I and you, you we were talking weren't we earlier about dresses yeah so I had my first baby in the mid 90s as I said it, it was her birthday yesterday and she's now 29 I can't believe it and the trend at the time were for like um it'd be like a sort of pinafore dress mm-hmm. with top underneath or it was dresses dresses were the thing it was like grungy dresses all those sorts of things and if you want to sit and breastfeed in a dress, you've got issues because you have to lift the whole thing up. And you're sitting there. And I never forget, I was I was feeding my daughter and I was at home. But my ex-husband was, um, he was um, a special constable. <laughs> and his two police friends used to pop in sometimes on a Friday. <laughs> What's that? There with my dress. <laughs> Sorry. Probably breaking your 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 audio thing, so my big laugh. And and so, really think about it. And actually, you know, you don't have to go and buy a specialist breastfeeding dress or top or anything. There are some amazing ones where they have little zips and sides. But one of my favourite things is a two up, two down. <laughs> it's not two up, two down. One up, one down. So you wear like a little vest top underneath the top, and then you might put a sweatshirt over the top. You lift your sweatshirt up, you pull the vest top down over your boob, put baby on. You would not know that someone was breastfeeding. But at work, it's thinking, okay, you will get the sign of the tingling, okay, before you start leaking. So think about it. Think about one, where you work. If you're a midwife, you are going to hear crying babies all the time. Believe me. I know my colleagues and it's like, so you need to think about that. Bring a lot of breast pads. Okay. And like you say, make sure. So you've got those to, to clean. And I would sort of say almost double up, but think about that as well. Okay. You've got your breast pads and no matter how beautiful or amazing or engineered they are, you will see them. If you're wearing a silk blouse or a floppy blouse, you get to see these. So that's just as embarrassing as having loads of milk there. Absolutely. That's why you need a blazer or a a sweater or something that that is loose. So it's not going to be snug. Yes. But you can actually just kind of just put it over, you know. Absolutely. Layers. (laughs) Layers and buttons. Buttons down the front. Um, Lifting up is actually more discreet, but... Yes. Oh, the thing that I used to worry about when I had my, I had massive babies. So I had massive postnatal belly. So if you lift your top, you lift your top up. And three of my babies were summer babies. <laughs> lift your top up. It's like, you, I was more embarrassed about my belly being out than I was my boob. 
Mm. And so wearing a vest underneath or a little boob tube or something. So when you lift your top up, you've still got something covering you. Yeah. Um, you know, it's thinking about all those things and you don't think about them. And you think, oh, I'm going to go back to work. Oh, let's get back in my wardrobe. And a lot of the time when you might go back to maybe the same way or something, you might probably likely not to, but you're going to be a different shape. And that's another thing I've found. A lot of the mums that I've supported, they're like, got this enormous work wardrobe and or uniforms mm. and I don't fit in them. So think about things like that. It's excuse girls to go out shopping. Yay. Yeah, absolutely. Treat yourself. You've just given birth to an amazing child. Yes. <laughs> Fabulous. Fabulous. And, and I'm going to share something. Um, and this one, actually, I've had a few moms tell me about it. When your child is teething and you're breastfeeding, I actually told my daughter this story. My daughter was about a month and I was breastfeeding. And, you know, the way sometimes when you're breastfeeding and you're looking at your child and your child is looking in your eyes, it was just a special moment. And then my child says, hmm, let me try this thing that has been itching my gum. And she beats down. Now, in medical school, they did not tell us that teeth come out as one month. She was pretty early. Yes. Oh, when she beat that while behind I was like, ah! <laughs> so um, they are, <laughs> honestly, these children are amazing. But the thing about it is just the practical thing that you might have children that have teeth early, or they might, of course, by the time you're thinking you want to breastfeed it till they are two. Are there mm. particular things that you would advise? Um, mm. You know, teeth, children who's got teeth already and you don't want them biting your nipple off, perhaps thinking that it will make the milk flow faster. Yes. <laughs> Any advice? Absolutely. I love the way you described that as she was like, oh, I've got this thing in my mouth. Let's see what happens. And and actually, I, I my son, one of my sons was three months when they got their teeth. So, again, ridiculously early. But let me explain. And I'm going to really this is going to be really hard for me on audio because I'm always using my hands and my face. But to breastfeed, a baby has to stick their tongue out over their gum, so, or teeth, to get a good latch. So they they stick their tongue out and bring the breast in, okay? And actually, the top gum is normally relaxed and up, so it's not in a position where if they're feeding effectively properly with a good latch, absolutely great. However, you've got a baby that's got a really sore gum and they're feeding. While they're feeding, they just go, oh, yeah, I just want to have a bit of a chew. (laughs) It's about watching your baby. You will start to learn when they're about to take their eye off the ball and they're going to start chewing. So they're not feeding. They just, you can see, they'll just move their head. So it's learning your baby's reaction and getting in there first. That's the first thing. The second thing is actually go back to basics. I mean, it was early for for us, you and I, but go back to basics. It's very easy when the baby's about sort of six months or 12 months, you just get on with it and they could be hanging over your shoulder feeding. You know, you do all sorts of weird things, but actually get back to basics. Make sure that they're in nice and close before they latch on. You could actually get them to stick their tongue out, and that could be a little game if they're a little bit older. So you go, no, tongue out before we we suckle or or whatever you call it, booby or nonny or whatever. Say, play a game with them to get them to stick their tongue out. The this is going to be a really hard one. Try not to scream. Sorry about saying that because of course you're gonna. It's a natural. It's a natural reaction. What happens is they think that's hilarious. So you're doing this massive reaction. So they're like, okay, if I do this, do you think it's that really funny noise? So you've got to sort of not make it a fun thing. Um, Another thing, little things like a teething bracelet or something that's around you. One, to keep and they, because they get very distracted as well. So that gives them something to play with, but also something to chew on. Or taking them off. It depends where the age is, but even as early as five months, six months, you can take them off and, and put them down and go, no, not that they under, but they'll know that it's sort of that. Okay. So yeah, it, it 
can always be avoided, but it actually isn't part of when they're breastfeeding properly. It 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 isn't a thing. It's a thing when they want to chew you. Yes, that's right. And you you you're so right because I think uh, after that first experience, my daughter then looks at me and then rubs her teeth over, and I'm like, no, 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 and then she continues sucking. And that she was really that young. So it's not as if she understood language. Person. Well, I didn't expect her to understand language. But like, no, no, no. <laughs> she like, got it. Ooh, that means. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. That is so much fun. Oh, I, I absolutely love talking. I could talk about this forever. But, of course, I know that our listeners, some of them have just dropped their kids off. They're going to work. Um, they're on treadmill. Uh, doing some housework so they don't really have a long time to listen to like long episodes so I try to keep this uh, as short as possible but uh, I'm just wondering for those of us uh, some for those of our listeners that are perhaps tuning in is there one takeaway that you want them to go with whether they are breastfeeding preparing for work go back to work um, or they are probably planning to you know what I'm going to stop this thing <laughs> what's, mm-hmm. what's that one thing that you think that would encourage them or help them um, oh, that's a big question, isn't it? Isn't it? Okay, I would say how you breastfeed your baby, when you breastfeed your baby, where you breastfeed your baby, when you stop, any of that is no one else's business except yours to own it. Woo! I love that. Now that is the mic drop moment, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so, so grateful you're able to join us, Rose. And I know many of our listeners want to connect with you. Please, where, where's the best place they could connect with you? Best place, um, it, there's two things that I use the most. Okay. We all have our own little preferences, don't you? So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn and it's a very long name and there's red lipstick in the logo. Um, Rosamond McFadden, that's my full name, IBCLC, award winning blah blah but so if you search up Rosamond McFadden or Ros McFadden it will come up on LinkedIn and then Instagram so in terms of sort of boobing stuff I have a range of slogan clothes and gifts and stuff so there's the boobins or Ros McFadden IBCLC so if you want some advice and support on actual breastfeeding so you'll probably hear more about the work stuff on LinkedIn. You'll probably hear more about the mum boobing stuff on Instagram. Fabulous, fabulous. I will put all the links in the description of the show. And I look forward to hearing amazing things from the moms here. So please do not forget to listen to this. Share with your other mothers who are breastfeeding or probably planning to breastfeed or maybe they're planning to give up breastfeeding and just share it with them because these are the these are the realities of life. What we do here on the show is to talk about the good, the bad and the ugly experiences we have in motherhood and to just say it as it is really. There are some pretty t- moments where we are all glammed up and there are some moments where we kind of scream and cry and there are some moments that we, we're frustrated. And just being able to share and kind of learn from your expertise, um, Rose, has just been a, such a delight today. So thank you so much for that. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me along. Fantastic. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure being here with you. Please don't forget to subscribe, download and share. Please leave a review because we'd love to hear your thoughts and perhaps maybe any other topics you'd like to hear about or people you'd like us to bring on the show that would be really really helpful i am dr jenny and until next time i ask that you stay well